You are listening to, you are listening to, you are listening to, from sobriety, from sobriety to recovery. Episode 150, let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I'm Jesse Mogul. I'm your host. I'm in addiction recovery. And we are at what episode 150. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Now's the time in sprockets when we dance. Hit it, DJ. It is a pleasure. It is an honor to have you here for episode 150. Another milestone. Another amazing milestone. I mean, I did open this, I opened up the episode with a whole brand new song. A whole brand new, my housemates they had to listen to me do that for like seven minutes until I could finally get it into something that sounded halfway decent. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Episode 150. What a joy it has been over these last three years, to get to this point, we are starting year four of the From Sobriety to Recovery podcast. I started this at the at the end of my second year. So I started this in 2019, so it would be in the beginning of year three. And here we are at the beginning of year six. And so year three, four, five, already in the bag. And now we're starting up year six. So we are at the beginning of year four. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, do I have some plans for the show. And we're going to talk more about that in episode 151, as I'm going to sort of kind of basically treat it as a brand new uh, pilot. And if you remember, go back and listen to the beginning. I think it would have, it would have probably been right around episode 50-ish, because I, I get about 50 a year in. And I did a pilot number two, like pilot continued, and... Um, there's so much about this show that it's turned into that I didn't expect or I couldn't have even begun to plan for when I first did it, right? I mean, that's what we talk about. That's what I talk about on this show. T- start taking te- steps forward uh, with a goal in mind, with a project that you're ready to work on, knowing full well that no matter how much you plan, right? Plan, you know, Planning is priceless, plans are worthless kind of mentality that you have no idea what it's going to start to play out and look like and grow toward once you finally start doing something. And this show has been the epitome of that. You know, what I originally thought about talking about and, you know, keeping it mostly around um, sobriety and recovery topics has, you know, launched into this whole neuro-linguistic programming, read, you know, a hundred different books, listen to thousands upon thousands of different podcast episodes and Blinkists and audiobooks and read, you know, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of different articles and news sources and just gathering information from so many different places and then just bringing it here in what I think sometimes is a complete congruent thought. <laughs> and, uh, oftentimes might turn into the ramblings of a madman and, you know, perhaps a little of my the soapbox junkie kind of just get up on it and, and start, you know, hammering out uh, my little uh, soapbox preacher things at the end of the episode. But 150, then we're here. And there's so much I want to talk about with this episode. Just got done doing my five years of sobriety episode. Um, that came out a couple weeks ago. I've really been trying to figure out how to get this episode out. Um, there's actually a couple versions of this episode that may or may not find themselves to the light of day, and uh, that I'll discuss. I'll decide upon myself over the next week or two. But the one I shot last night is a little. This didn't seem as focused. And last night, as I'm laying in bed, and I'm like, okay, edit the podcast in the morning. And as I'm falling asleep, uh, I start to have this idea of the Matrix. And yes, we all know the Matrix movie. Red pills stay in the Matrix. Keep being an energy. Uh, an energy battery for the machines that have taken over the planet, and right, you get to live in that little energy bubble, and they just keep you plugged in, live in this fake reality inside your mind. Or take the blue pill and see how deep the rabbit hole goes. And it really got me thinking about how much about sobriety and recovery 
we can't even fathom being what our experience will actually be until we start to live out that experience. Like no matter how many episodes you listen to of me or somebody else or how many books you read, until you start to actually experience sobriety and recovery for yourself and the way that you internalize it, you can't you just you can't picture it. You can't you can't know based on somebody else's experiences. It's like looking at a picture of the Grand Canyon versus actually going there and being awestruck by the enormousness of these, you know, these crevices, these this canyon carved out by the Colorado River. Like pictures, yes, they can say they the pictures are a thousand words, but nothing is the same as going there and standing on the edge of one of those amazing a canyon wall cliffs and looking out upon the Grand Canyon. And that's how our sobriety and recovery journeys are. No matter how much somebody talks about it, until you experience the physical transformation, until you experience the ebbs and flows and the peaks and valleys and and the canyons and the stratosphere of your own emotional uh, turmoil and, and benefits and growth, until you actually feel your brain getting back in shape and the biochemical, you know, the way that your brain works starting to fix itself after years and years of a neglect and abuse. And then your spirituality comes in and you feel, you legitimately feel at the depths of your core, your, your principles and your values and your morals and your ethics and your gratitude and your integrity and your humility. And you, you feel these things begin to grow and, and, and begin to bring you through a whole level of experience that no matter how much you listen to me talk about it or you hear other people in meetings reference it or your sponsor of 22 years of sobriety tells you it's going to be, it does nothing, it does nothing, nothing that we say paints the picture, becomes the voice inside your own head, becomes the feelings that you have at the depths of your core down to your your toenails all the way up to the last piece of hair on your head, nothing compares to experiencing it for yourself. And so as I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking about this this matrix, right? I took the blue pill. I came out of this trance-like doldrum just being a cog in, in, the, in a battery of a machine I never even wanted to be involved in. And as I come out of it, you know, I, there was things that I experienced, right? There's things that no matter how much Neo was told that he was going to learn about the depths of the lies that he had been told, that he was, he never could have known as he was sliding out of that little battery bubble that when he got into the Nebuchadnezzar, that all of a sudden he was really going to realize, man, the, the world, the world is a fucked up place. And he has been blind to it all along. And now his eyes are wide open, but it doesn't mean that he's prepared to live in it. There's still an adjustment that needs to be made. Whether it's learning new skills and talents and, and habits in order for him to be um, who he's meant to be. And we're all our own version of meant to be. We're all our own Neos. And we're all our own. This, we all know that there's something bigger and better and greater out there for us. And there was this, this voice inside of us, this feeling that we had, this vision of our lives that we had yet to create in the reality of the world around us. We felt it for years. Right? We tried to lie to ourselves and convince ourselves that we could do it with alcohol and drugs still in our lives or that, hey, it's not that bad. Or we just, we're, I mean, addicts are great liars, and mo- first and foremost to ourselves. And so you come out with the blue pill, and now you're all of a sudden you're in the real world, and you're like, what am I supposed to do with all of this? And that's the, that's the joy. It's like, we're, it's like we're a newborn. It's like we get to experience everything else again for the first time, going bowling, going to concerts, going to events and going to parties and special gatherings and just sitting at home on a Friday night doing laundry and watching Netflix and and just living life, but not with three bottles of wine and a bag of weed next to us, right? Or not, you know, not going out to the next place to pick up our next dope hit, right? It's just all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, this is just normal life and it's not going to be like a rocket ride to Mars. Some days it's just, it's just contentment. It's just, man, fuck yeah. You know, I got a nice house over my roof over my head. I got food in the refrigerator and I got some kick-ass stuff to watch on the TV or some chill stuff to listen to in my ears while I read a really dope book, like whatever it might be. Okay. And so I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking about all this and I'm like, okay, I remember when this matrix thing first came to my mind. And I, I remember the first time I like really cried about, you know, why, 
why, why did I have to take the blue pill? And I really believe that I began to take the blue pill back when I first started to use, because at some point that meant that I was going to have to come out of the matrix. It was an elongated version. Like, follow me on this metaphor. And I know you're all thinking, dude must have seriously just got done, you know, shredding through all four episodes of the Matrix <laughs> quadrilogy because the dude's really just going off on this Matrix thing. But it's not. It actually stems from a memory I have. And I'll go into that as I start to go into the, the actual points of this podcast. But where I want this metaphor to go is that there are people out there who don't take things to the extreme that we did. They don't think, take things to the extreme that I did. Right? I don't know the depths of which your extremeness went to, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that if you're listening to a show like this, you went pretty out there and back. Right? But a lot of people just go out there and they don't come back. Or a lot of people just they, they tiptoe through their lives to the point where they don't really abuse anything to the point of it scaring them to have to quit. For it to destroy their life to the point where they have no choice but to walk away from that which they had grown so comfortable toward. You have these people who they're just taking the red pill and they're good and they're in the, they're in the system and they're they're not going to abuse anything too crazy. They'll have a couple off nights where things will get a little bit bonkers. They'll lose their temper once in a while, but they'll reel it in. Like for the most part, man, they are they are the perfect battery for the machines. And then there is those of us who are so extreme, right? We're so driven. There's something inside of our heads that says, you know, push it, push it, push it further, further, further. Studies have been done by the Science Times and other and other publications that state that addicts tend to have a propensity to be very, quote-unquote, alpha, quote, very smart and, and very much driven to push themselves. And in this pursuit to push and push and drive ourselves, um, there's this desire to be able to just release and to not feel in control and to just let something else take over. And when that happens, obviously addictive substances are going to be what we are going to be able to lean on because sex, drugs, rock and roll, porn and gambling and Coke and and heroin and meth and all the other things out there like this, this allows us to just stop being so in control because this desire to be in control so much, you just want to release it. I hear other people saying they don't like to get wasted because they want to be in control. And I'm like, you, you say that. I was like, but people who really, really, really want to always be in control will find something to turn into their addiction to be able to not feel so in control once in a while. That's my theory. You don't have to agree with it. But I, I just feel like for me, my desire to be an absolute such maximum control of my life to have every planned out. And it comes from my mom and the disease and all that. I get it. But it's within that desire to be able to control the uncontrollable that, that there would be times where I'd be like, mm, fuck it. I just, I wanted to just cut loose tonight and not worry about the consequences. And then, you know, a couple beers turned into a couple shots, turned into LSD, turned into cocaine. And before you know it, it was six double shots of vodka before I even left for the fraternity house. So where am I going with this? We're, we're getting there. So there's those that are okay with the red pill. And there's those of us who t- who knowingly, or in many cases unknowingly, but yet almost like we knew something else was greater for us. So we began to push ourselves and push ourselves and push ourselves. Before you know it, we know when we're in the depths of our using that there's that we're going to have to stop this at some point to ever have the kind of life that we've always envisioned for ourselves, to ever reach our full potential. It was that thought about my full potential and never reaching it that I had on January 12th of 2017 that led me to sobriety on January 13th. It was that final, like, I am at that precipice. I am at that point. If I don't decide to make a change today, not only will the change probably never happen, but I'm more than likely going to die in the next couple of weeks because the tightness in my chest and the numbing of my left arm and the and the the spinning of the head and feeling dizzy and the the body was shutting itself down. It was it was bad. So unwittingly, again, sort of I keep saying unwittingly like I didn't know, but the moment alcohol touched my mouth, I knew I was going to have to quit it to ever have the life I truly desired. So both unwittingly not knowing necessarily how I was going to get to this destination, but yet knowing that I was going to eventually have to take the road less traveled, 
I began to to take this blue pill at 18 where I was going to have to unplug myself from the matrix. I was going to have to dive into myself to really find out the depths of who I am at my core, at why these traumas from my childhood and my teen and twin age and 20-somethings fueled this addictive version of me that became the monster that had to be silenced. When we decide to move forward with sobriety and start our journey toward and into addiction recovery, we inadvertently committed and agreed to up-level our life at every single level, in every facet, in any and every way that we decide from that moment forward is no longer working for us. Agreeing with us, serving us, and our highest needs, our highest wants, our highest desires from our individual lives. You may not have realized it, but once you started to push yourself into the depths of your addiction, you began taking the blue pill. Because at some point, you have to slide out of the battery bubble. You have to come to terms with what you thought was reality wasn't really your reality. You were allowing it to be to be ebbed and flowed by a substance whose sole purpose is to mess with your brain mess with your body, and take you out of yourself. I have an energy healer that says that when people get blacked out drunk, that's when spirits can can inhabit them and can affect their lives. Right? No matter whether you believe in spirits and, and, and all that stuff or not, I think we can all at the very least agree upon that when we black out, there is an energy source going on inside of us that is not us. For me, I definitely think my guardian angels helped me stay alive more times than not, because I'd black out for hours upon hours, and I'd be out and about, shit, I would be driving my car. But there was also, to me, an evil, a negative energy force that was inside of me, creating this version of Jesse Mogul that thought this behavior was okay. So when we step into sobriety and recovery, you've made this agreement to up-level your life. We did this. And I'm going to take this out of the plural and bring this into the singular and personal. You decided this, and there are no takebacks. In your decisiveness, you committed to this course of action, and not abiding by it will leave you feeling incongruent, like something isn't fitting right. That's what incongruence is, right? It's when something doesn't fit right, doesn't feel right. Like if your parents were straight, buttoned up herbs, right? Just boring as can be, you know, strict, always holding you down. Like, you know, they're those herby kind of parents. Herbs is a word I used back in Orlando when it was like something just totally dorkish. You know, you're just like, whatever, you're a herb, right? But then all of a sudden you see them at a concert, right? And they're jumping around and they're screaming and they're laughing. I mean, they're basically, you know, yelling and, and, and acting crazy like a 13-year-old girl witnessing the Beatles for the first time live in the 60s, right? Like they're just out of their freaking mind. That's incongruence. What they are doing in that moment at that concert, it doesn't fit with the image of them you have experienced for the last umpteen years. So when you feel like something isn't fitting right within yourself, something doesn't feel right, that is your body, your mind, your soul. It's charging you to do something different. If you're feeling this incongruence in your sobriety and recovery, it's because you're not stepping up to the commitment you've made. Like just because you didn't know you made this commitment, you weren't completely sure what this commitment was going to be like whenever you decided to get sober and start working your way, your steps toward addiction recovery, just because you weren't sure the depths of this was going to go, doesn't mean you get to opt out of it now. Neo takes the blue pill. That's it. You don't get to go back to the red world. That's it. Yeah, I get in the movie you actually could. Fuck that. Stick with my metaphor. You don't get to go back. Because even now, if you thought you could, right? The, so the Matrix says, you know what? Take the red pill. We'll plug you back in. We'll let you get drunk. And we'll let you forget all about this bullshit. You don't get to do that. You always know. You always know that you did it. You always know that you did it for a couple days, a week, a couple months, right? And you, you started to feel the changes. You started to feel the shifts. You started to understand something inside of yourself that was a light was finally shining into your shadows and you were seeing a part of yourself that, that may have, maybe at first it was hard to notice and definitely maybe even harder to actually look at. But the more your eyes grow accustomed to the light, 
the more your, your eyes were able to adjust to what was going on in the now, the more you started to actually feel like this is it. This is, this is exactly what I need to be doing. And yes, yes, for many of us, we have that unconscious kickback that says, this is not what I'm used to doing. I'm used to leaning on alcohol. I'm used to leaning on drugs. Something doesn't fit right, right? There's actually an incongruence to me not using. But we know that we want to be congruent with not using. So we have to push through that one, knowing full well that it's on the other side, that it feels better. You took the blue pill. You chose to wake up from the battery bubble of the machine of society and life has had you sucked into since you were knee-high to a grasshopper. And now you are in charge of sliding down and out of this bubble and getting into the Nebuchadnezzar and figuring this shit out. Yeah, I'm dropping some crazy cuss bombs. And for those of you out there who love to call it scrolling about, I know you love what I'm doing right now. I know, I know, I know you're, you're probably thrilled that I just called it out right there. And it ain't all going to be roses and puppy dogs and ice cream and, and rainbows and, and unicorns shooting you know chocolate chip cookies out of its ass. Like Life doesn't ever get to be that way. You've been plugged in, living in a made-up world. You have been going through the motions. And now, now you're awake. Now you are awake. So let's run through some of the things that I experienced over the last five years that I experienced, hell, over my first few months even. Let's go all, let's take the way, way, way back machine. Marty McFly rolls up in here in dope-ass DeLorean, right? We got the hilarious dog, Einstein, chilling in the, in the passenger seat. Let's go back in time and let me discuss with you guys some of the things that I experienced in my first 30, 60, 90 days, right? That, that, that first, because I was really in, in sobriety for like the first seven months. I thought I was in addiction recovery, but it wasn't until I got a hold of Melissa, my therapist, at around month seven or eight that she really started to knock me upside the head and say, let's get this figured out. Let's get you healing. So let's go over some of those things because the universe has been bringing me a ton of signs that um, I need to start talking more about 30, 60, 90 days. What is it that you're going to experience in the beginning stages of your sobriety and recovery? And I don't think it's just because I've been getting so many new listeners because from what I hear, you all start off at maybe this point at the, the latest episodes, but then you, you realize you need to go back and you need to listen. And that's not a bad idea. In fact, it's highly encouraged. Don't blaze through the episodes in order to catch back up. Feel free to listen and then go back. I mean, you do it your, your way. I highly recommend a, a fair amount of listening to the current episodes and then also going back and listening to them in order because from, from the hundreds and hundreds of you I've talked to, this seems to be a really great way for you to approach this. So when I say what's going on in the 30, 60, 90 days of the, of the beginning of your sobriety, it's not because of all of the new listeners. And again, thank you all for joining into this amazing tribe we're creating here, this movement. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. And I can't wait to, to introduce you to everything I have planned for 2022. I'm seeing some parallels between what we're going through in our first 30, 60, 90 to what ends up happening in that year one, two, three, four, five. Like, in fact, only because I'm I'm just starting year six. Do I, I don't necessarily know what year 11 is going to be like, but I'm having a feeling that that 30, 60, 90 days, what we experienced then actually ends up circling back and coming back to us many, many, many times over throughout our sobriety and recovery. It's, it's like we're, we get ourselves in a bit of a loop, right? Where we, you know, we think, okay, we've got the physical body, got the emotions, got the mental, got the spiritual. I've got these all lined up. And yeah, things go great for a little bit, but then we start to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone, right? What we talk about all the time, getting uncomfortable or getting comfortable in our uncomfort zone. And then all of a sudden we begin to experience a lot of the stuff we did at the beginning. But now we're weeks and months and if not years into sobriety and recovery. So why are we having these, these turbulations now? It might confuse us. But it's life. It's, it's the journey of life that will circle us back to very similar challenges that we think that we've already overcome. But now we're just in a different stage. But it doesn't mean that the challenges that we felt in stage one, two, aren't going to come back in stage five, six, seven. Part of the human experience is that it, life is a little bit like the Matrix in that deja vu. That's when you know there was a, there was a glitch in the Matrix. That's when you know that the, that the agents have come in. 
right? Because you're trying to push yourself to new amazing heights, right? Most of the world wants to keep us in a box, right? To be the outlier, to be the person who goes beyond their own expectations, that pushes themselves into that uncharted territory, that begins to actually achieve the destiny inside of them, that begins to live up to their own expectations of their life, let alone what the rest of the world thought of them, right? When you start to live up to your own desires, that's that's whenever you start to find yourself going back through a lot of the stuff that we did at the beginning. To me, it's a natural cycle. It's a natural cycle. You begin to live up to your own potential, and you're going to be cycling back through a lot of the stuff you did at the beginning when you were just starting to even think about your potential. So what are some of these things? I started to go through in my 30, 60, 90 that I'm finding keeps I keep circling back to. Because I want you to get comfortable in knowing that there's going to be some circling back. There's going to be things that you thought you had quote-unquote conquered that all of a sudden you realize, well, okay, I thought I'd already moved through this, and yet here it is again. It's just because you're in a different stage that's going to require a lot of the same kind of challenges to be overcome. Water break. I don't want to pause the mic this time. I just want to keep talking. Because there's a lot. And I want to get this out before we get into like hour one <laughs> being over. So when you go into your sobriety journey, right, there, there, there's a reason why I want to, we've all got systems. Everybody's got a system for everything. I've got, I'm no different in the fact that I've got my systems. I just happen to think that my systems are awesome. I talk about them all the time. I've introduced them to you countless of times on this show. Hell, I think I've got such great systems. I built a podcast around them. So, so I'm not egotistical. I have plenty of, uh, plenty of humility around these. Again, I, I've read a lot. I've read so many other books. Everybody's got a system. I love other people's systems. I just happen to love mine more. And that's why I came up with PIMS, Physical, Emotional, Mental, Spiritual. Because when I first got into this and I started asking people, what was I going to be expecting in my first 30, 60, 90 days and then going on to six months, nine months, 12 months, my dad being an alcohol and drug addiction counselor, he was like, well, you're going to feel a lot of physical transformations in the first year. You're going to have a lot of emotions in that first year, but really exploding in the second year. And your brain's going to be coming out of this fog in year uh, partially in year one and year two, but you're really going to start to feel like your brain having healed itself in year three. From that explanation from him came PIMS, the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual pillars of our lives. So the first thing you're going to notice in, in when you're sobriety and recovery and these things that you're going to circle back on, right? We've covered that. When I'm talking 30, 60, 90, but it literally could be the first 30, 60, and 90 days of every new year of your sobriety and recovery, any new stage. And you understand your stages. You know when it's sort of like you've been clicking off really cool road markers, and now all of a sudden you say, okay, well, I've achieved that, and I've habituated that, and my life has taken on a, a level of homeostasis around that. Now hedonistic adaptation is going to increase the desire to push yourself harder and further. That's you starting a new stage. And that's when you start going back through a lot of the same stuff that you went through in the last stage. So your physical body, it's the first thing that you're going to start to notice, right? It's going to be the first thing to start healing and you want to help it. When you find yourself stuck in your recovery and your sobriety, ask yourself, how has your physical body transformation begun to stagnate? You've got to get active. You've got to do things like eating right and getting steps and doing some sort of calisthenics. Breathe hard. Cause your body to need more oxygen than it normally does. Get the muscles pumped. Your body was or is falling apart. Now is the time to get it back in line. Anytime I start to feel a stagnation in my sobriety and recovery journey or in my life in general, I need look no further than the fuel I'm putting in it, in my body, and the way that I am exerting energy out of my body. I sent this to TJ, my my uh, best friend, my business partner, my workout buddy the other day, and I was like, the answer to everything is go to the gym. If I feel stuck, if I feel discombobulated, stressed, jealous, angry, sad, if I feel an emotion, I need to work through it, go to the gym. 
I just getting the blood pumping, getting the, some sweat on my brow, just pushing myself past what I believe is a, you know my own perceived um, limitations, stepping out of those limiting beliefs about who I am and creating a new version of myself right before my very eyes. That is something I feel very accomplished, very accomplishable when I go to the gym. Now your your gym could be the woods and sprinting up a hill like Walter Payton did or Jerry Rice did back in the day, or it could be a at home gym like a couple people in the tribe have, or whatever it looks like to you. Gym is just my generic word for go somewhere and bust your ass physically doing something. It isn't to be a gym rat to walk around and be like, uh, 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 I'm on it, and I said eat the protein and bump the weights and come on, grunt, grunt, grunt. This isn't what we're talking about, and if that's your mental image that you have. When I say gym or when I when I talk about being active, you need to work on shifting that. Because you're walking around with an extra 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 pounds on you that you're not happy with. It's, it's dragging you down. It's messing with your head. It's messing with your vision of yourself. In the first 30, 60, 90 days, the body starts going through rapid and massive physical transformations because you've been poisoning it and poisoning it and poisoning it for years. And later on down the line, you reach a level of homeostasis. You know, you start taking on more, um, more challenges. You start taking on more responsibilities. Now, all of a sudden, you can't seem to fit 30 minutes to go work out. You know, sweat a couple times a week. I don't know. I'm going to find time to walk 10,000 10, steps. It takes between an hour and an hour and a half to do that. Depending on how fast you walk, you are spending way more time getting wasted than an hour, an hour and a half. Anytime the phone rings and I don't need to be in front of my computer, I'm on my earbuds and I'm outside walking. I don't care if it's 23 degrees. I'm getting my steps. Even with 20-some degree weather in Alabama over this course of the last few months I've been here, I'm still averaging 12,000 steps a day. may not always be hitting 12 or 10. There's been a couple days where it was like 19 degrees and I couldn't quite get out and do the normal. So I'm only getting like six or eight, but I'm still still averaging my 10 to 12 because that was a commitment I made to myself because I know when I keep my body active, I keep my emotions grounded and I keep my mind in check. So if you're 30, 60, 90 days, you felt rapid body transformation, be looking at other areas in your life as you, as you get deeper and deeper into your sobriety and recovery where perhaps you've let that slack off. First thing I did when I got sober, that first Monday when I left Kaiser's, I went straight to Equinox and I joined up because I knew I needed to be at the gym. I knew that that's where I was going to be able to start this journey, and it's still working for me today. The second pillar and the number two thing in my show notes is your emotions. Your emotions in the first 30, 60, 90, they're going to ebb and flow, right? It'd be great if we got sober and all of our crap magically fixed itself. You will feel feelings at a whole other level than you ever thought possible. And depending on when in your life your traumatic anchors were set, this is where you will have some of your emotional maturity residing in. Right? If you got if you have some PTSD from uh, something that happened at 4, 8, 12, there's going to be a part of your 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 emotional self that's going to have an anchor there. And when something similar happens to what happened when that anchor, that, that negative emotional state anchor was set at whatever age. When something similar happens in your life now, whether it's 20, 30, 40, 50, and beyond, whatever, you're going to revert back to that age in your, in your reaction. What age is what way you might act? That's there's studies been done on this. I'm not just making this up. Can I quote them? No, don't need to. I've read it from like 15 different places. I know it's, it's existence proof. I know it exists because I've read it from enough places that have no ulterior motive to, to teach it otherwise. All right, we're going to talk about existence proof later on in this, but it's, it's, it's the idea around existence proof is that you know it exists because you've seen proof of it in other areas. It's like finding a T-Rex bone in Texas. You find one femur of a T-Rex and you're like, well, we found a bunch of these bones just like this in Egypt. So therefore, dinosaurs must have been in Texas. It's like, that's all we needed to do is find one bone. And now we're convinced that dinosaurs were here. Yeah, because the existence of them has already been confirmed somewhere else. We've already seen that other people can achieve sobriety and recovery from the same substances that you're seeking to overcome. 
from the same emotional traumas that we have anchored into our past. You've seen other people with similar ones, if not damn near the exact same one. And they've, they've achieved this because we know that they've been able to do it. That means that we can do it too. It's just about getting our mind right about how we're going to accomplish that. And our emotions will be something that will ebb and flow. They will spike. They will dip. They will be in our lives forever. We're humans. We're emotional creatures. So the four types of feelings that you want to be very aware about, the the four kinds of basic emotions, happiness, sadness, fear, and anger, which are differentiated, uh, associated with three core effects. Reward is the happiness. Punishment is the sadness. And stress is the fear and the anger. And this actually came from a publication. I've got this somewhere in here, Science Times or something. Anyways, I did want to quote that, but now, of course, I can't locate it in the notes. So anyways, I actually got that off of, off of like a really good publication, went and read their whole magazine just because I wanted that information. <laughs> um, fear and anxiety, they go hand in hand. Fear and anxiety are natural. See, to me, I actually believe they are beneficial because they alert me. They can alert you to the notion that you are getting ready to do something outside your comfort zone and you're about to experience something with an unknown outcome. Right? When we don't know the outcome, we might try to set expectations around it. And we've discussed how frustration is a function of expectation. Frustration is a function and of our expectations. And I believe this is a Stephen Covey quote. Frustration is a function of our expectations. And our expectations are often a reflection of the social mirror rather than our own values and priorities. We set these expectations based on what other people might want from us or what other people have accomplished. It's, it's a reflection of the social mirror, but it's not a direct reflection of our own values and priorities. Your emotions are going to be there. Fear, to me, I, uh, to me, I want to feel fear. I want to feel fear. Because it lets me know that I'm challenging myself, that I'm about to do something that I have not habituated, that has not become trance-like to me. Lately, I've been reaching out to addiction recovery and uh, any kind of centers like that here in the Huntsville and surrounding like quad state area. I've just been just going, calling, 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 right? Let me, I want to bring some of them on the show. I want to go speak there. I want to go teach there. I want to be able to get information to, to add to the book that I'm writing. All of these different things. Like I've got a million and one reasons I want to talk to these people who are literally the boots on the ground, the hands in the mud of what's going on in this world, in this industry of addiction recovery. There are some people who are doing it to manipulate, and there's other people who are doing it to influence. I want to know the difference. I want to be able to, to meet the people doing it right and laud them, and I want to be able to meet the people who aren't doing it as well as they could be, and they knowingly are doing it half-assed. I want to find out what their motivation is, too, so that I can begin to notice them out there in this industry. And I can highlight the good, and then we can shine a light on those who are doing it undesirably and put pressure on them to begin to do it desirably. Because because going at people when they're at their weakest, when they're at their rock bottom and taking advantage of them is like the worst betrayal you could do to somebody who's actively seeking sobriety. To me, it's just like, it, it's, it's like somebody just got mugged and then they're walking up to you asking for, uh, you know, bus fare to get home and you punch them in the face and steal their boots. Like, what are you, I mean, come on, how much lower could you be in this moment? And when we talk about low, these are the emotions that we talk about. Even how I just got fired up about this. Like, I love fear because fear, when I feel fearful about being told no or being rejected, even though I know that my heart's in the right place, that my content is good, that my show is, 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 is of highest value. And then these sinners, they say no, whatever their reason is for wanting to get off the phone with me, right? It's a, thank God I just dial the next number and go. Don't, don't let the fear stop me. Don't let the fear stop me. You know, J.K. Rawlings was turned down by 50 publishers before somebody said yes. Jack Canfield was turned down by 50 publishers before somebody said yes. If they allowed fear to control them, we'd never have chicken soup for the soul. We'd never know who Harry Potter was. If you feel fear, that is a sign to you that you're already, that you're already and willing and able to push through it. That something is happening right now that, that you're not comfortable with, and it's time. It's time. If you feel a charge, take charge. And you're going to feel this in your first 30, 60, 90, and it's going to come back around. It's going to come back around. 
your mental state in your brain. All right, this is a third part of PIMS, mental. Your mental state in your brain has really wired itself to help you maintain your life the way you've been living it. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to get your brain rewired. That's that biochemical that I talk about. This is one of, this is one of the zones that I coach around. What, is the bio, bio, what are the biochemical changes in your brain? Right? I mean, it can, that can sound a bit abstract, so let's just let me reel it in. The, this, the brain metabolizes um, energy, and it's, it's a very intense, intense phenomenal and even process involving this wide spectrum of like these chemical intermediaries. Some of these words I jacked offline, uh, jacked off, did not mean to say that. Um, <laughs> Involving a lot, right? So, because chemical intermediaries, I did not know what that was until I read it today. Um, basically, your your brain has this amazing way of absorbing all of these different chemicals and doing things with it to create energy. It's this process that it does. I'm gonna get a little nerdy and sciency here. It's like homeostatic and electrophysiological properties of the brain. What does all that mean? Let's let's just bring let's just reel in the the Jesse Nye the science guy routine there for a second. The biochemistry of your brain deals with the structures, the bonding, the functions, the interactions of all these different molecules and macromolecules and stuff inside your brain. Your brain is the most amazing supercomputer that humans have ever known to exist. Till aliens come out from outer space and introduce themselves to us, we will not know a more advanced brain. But your brain needs energy. Right, so it takes proteins and it takes these uh, these nucleic acids and these carbohydrates and these lipids, these fats, and it and it creates energy. Right, it creates the structure of your cells that perform all of these functions associated with keeping you alive. Right, so the carbs and the fats and the oils and the enzymes and the proteins and um, the, the the nucleic acids that make up the molecules of DNA and RNA and all this crap, right? All of this stuff is the biochemicals of your brain, and it's all been getting screwed with because we did alcohol and drugs and, and, and we took on. You know, it gets screwed with when you gamble or when you watch porn or whenever you stare at your phone all the time and play fucking Candy Crush Saga or whatever the newest one is. Right, sitting there and double tapping like on all the TikTok and Instagram videos. This is popping off dopamine and serotonin. It screws with your brain. So when you get sober, your brain's like, "Oh my God! Ah, what happened to the things I was using to keep homeostasis? Why did you take them away?" Right, and all of a sudden, what it began, to, what it has been very comfortable with for years, you know, it, it figured out a way to live with all this poison being drummed into it. Right, all this alcohol that was pumping through your bloodstream was getting into your brain. Right and now, all of a sudden, you're you're you you stop using, and now all of a sudden you're mentally clear. Right, but you're also still very foggy. Like, what? How the hell did I get here? Like, think about it. When you first get sober, you're going around, you're looking at your life, and you're you're probably not exactly thrilled with what you've done with your life up to this point of when you first stepped into sobriety recovery. In fact, you might be a year, two, three into it and still not be happy. Hell, you might be a year 30 and still not happy with what you look around and see your life being. It could be your relationships, your home, your career, your body, your finances. Your whole damn life is up for inspection. It's all up for assessment. But be okay with what you experience when you inspect and gentle on yourself when you assess. You're going to feel confused. You're going to wonder, why is this happening? What got me here? Your mental clarity will not always be ready for what it is you're getting ready to experience. In the first 30, 60, 90, it's going to baffle you. And it can just as easily baffle you when you begin to move into different stages of your life as you begin to really embrace and, and be involved in your sobriety and recovery journey. It's just part of it. Don't ask why it's happening. And it's like in 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 such a way like oh why me that's not what we're looking for here. We're, if you're gonna ask yourself why it's happening, then ask it with with some assertiveness. Like why is this happening right now, in a way that I'm ready to use it as a growth mechanism. When you feel a charge, take charge. How many times will I repeat that till it becomes a mantra that we all 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 follow? When you feel a charge, take charge. That's your body, that's your mind, that's your soul, that's your spirit saying, hey, something right now, this is important. Pay attention. Let's do something about it. 
Just be gentle on yourself when you begin to assess and inspect and understand that no matter how much you try to clear up your brain, get your emotions grounded, um, understand your physical body and its transformations as you age, we're not going to ever have all the answers. When I tell people that I do life coaching and business coaching, the smart asses of the world will love to say, oh, so you've got everything all figured out. No. Life coaches don't have it all figured out. Business coaches don't have it all figured out. Coaches of any sport, of anything, don't have it all figured out. But we have a hell of a lot of resources to help us figure it out. And we have the growth mindset built into us that lets us know that if we pay attention and set our intention toward it, then we will figure it out. I'm going to get you out of here on this soon because the the notes on this thing go and go and go and go, but I feel like we're already at 45 minutes. It is going to be confusing to feel feelings that you've kept bottled up, pushed down, and muted for so long. This can show itself in your relationships at home, work, play, and everywhere in between. You can get set off in a matter of one second Because something happens to you or in front of you that you deem disrespectful or insulting to you or someone you care about or just a stranger that you you can't even believe somebody else is treating that way. When you find yourself getting set off, understand that it's just part of the human experience. Ask yourself, is the picture you're having in your mind, are you seeing it through your own eyes? Are you seeing it in third person? Right? You can... There's a, uh, I don't have time to do it in this show right now, but there's a way that I teach in, in, in my NLP classes where you can take this picture and you can change it inside your head. It, it can bring about uh, different feelings and emotions. And people have told you about ways to do this, but anyways, I bring it in. But more importantly, what I want to focus on in this, this aspect as I get you guys out of here is that you're going to feel things and it's going to be a tidge bit scary. You can tell yourself it's not scary, that it's awesome. That it's great that you're feeling this. You can literally just tell yourself that. And then keep telling yourself this over and over and over again. Think about it. I don't know why it baffles people to think that if they keep telling themselves positive stuff that for some reason it's ridiculous and it won't work. Meanwhile, you'll sit here and beat yourself up in your head over and over and over again. Tell yourself that you're a piece of shit, that you're worthless, that you're a bad parent, you're a bad friend, you're a bad lover, you're a bad employee. You'll tell you that you're ugly, that you're fat, that you're, you're too skinny, that your clothes look like shit, that your car's shit, that your finances are shit, that your life's shit. You'll tell this to yourself over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And for some reason, you won't ever stop yourself and say, what the hell am I doing? That's stupid. But the moment somebody tells you to start saying nice, positive things to yourself, you want to kick back and say, that's that's just ridiculous. That's not even true. Well, <laughs> none of the other crap is any more true just because it's negative. None of it is any more true just because it's negative. Well, I only got $37 in my bank account, so you're trying to tell me that I'm not poor. Uh, it's bullshit. The numbers aren't what you're hanging your hat on because there's probably people out there with millions whose lives are just as shit. Money doesn't make you happier. It does give you the opportunity to buy some modicum of happiness. But again, hedonistic adaptation dictates that you won't be happy with it for long. So all money really does is provide more opportunity. But we had all the money in the world to be using, had all the money in the world to buy blow at three in the morning. So you had the money when it was going to destroy your life. Figure out the ways to create the money now to help your life. It boggles me whenever people are like, oh, this, that, or the other about their finances. And then I'll, we'll start doing some math about how much they use. And I'm like, so you had no problem coming up with a thousand bucks a month to get wasted. But we're not hanging our hat on the numbers. We're not hanging our hat on what the scale says or how fancy our clothes are, or what the labels we're wearing. If you're doing that to yourself, then then you're you're seeing life in a whole different whacked way. You could reframe it. Who cares about the labels? Eventually, all that crap ends up at frickin' the thrift store or Goodwill for a dollar anyways. So begin to reframe the way you talk about yourself and start saying more positive stuff. You don't have to say that you have tons of money and you're super wealthy when you know you're not, but you don't have to tell yourself that you're poor, you know, disrespected, filthy, crappy loser either. 
figure out ways to, to, to switch that up and tell yourself that you're hardworking and that you're getting it together and that, you know, each day is another day closer to having that kind of financial stability that you've always desired. But I'll promise you this, going back to using ain't going to make your life financially stable. It's just not. Shit, look how many freaking movie stars and rich people have burned through millions being wasted to find themselves, you know, saddling up to the bankruptcy bus. Money will not keep you from from destroying your life. You'll just find more expensive ways to do it. Time and space will feel so different. Now I'm really going to get you out of here on this. And then I'm going to bring this topic back up again in a later episode because there's just too much. Um, and I think I've wandered down a lot of different paths in this episode. But it's episode 150, so why not? Um, time and space are going to feel different. I want you to be informed by the past, not held back by it. When you feel depression, those, those are the days that you start to dwell on the past. Maybe you're getting nostalgic. A study was done that said that when people get nostalgic, they, re- they, they reported feeling more stressed, depressed, and lonely, expressed more regret and rumination, were less satisfied with their life, and reported lower self-esteem. They also felt less peaceful and calm and expressed more rumination on the following day. And that, that came from another Science Time article or something to that extent. So that, that what I just said that, that about the more stressed, depressed, and lonely, I, I, I got that in some science article strategically about depression. Depression comes from living in the past, ruminating and dwelling on what you did back then and how much you regret those actions and wish you could have, you could go back and take them back or not be a part of them or change the situation, change the outcome. Hell, forget it ever happened. Aggression in your life comes from, you know, all of the memories you've had and then all of a sudden somebody does something in front of you that reminds you of something that caused you trauma in the past and now you want to be aggressive about it now. You want to beat the shit out of somebody. You want to lash out at them. You want to stand up to them. Hell, maybe you just want to protect yourself or someone you love from another person because you experienced something like that in your past and by God, you're not going to let it happen to you again. When you feel depressed, it's because you're in your head. And I, I get that this can be a little bit touchy to talk about because I know that there are some some people on medication because the doctors have declared them clinically depressed. I'm not going to get into the whole conversation about how the medical industry really is just uh, a machine to sell medication and keep us all fucking loaded up on drugs and, 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 and plugged into the battery machine, right? That's that's my own personal beliefs on, on medication. I feel like there's ways out of that stuff. Use it to get yourself balanced, but don't use it as a lifelong apparatus to keep, keep yourself balanced because honestly, the body, the mind, it's got ways of doing that for you. But I'm not a medical licensed professional, so I'll leave it at that. All I'm going to say is that for those of us who find ourselves sad, find ourselves getting depressed, really just ask yourself, are you just spinning around in your head, thinking about the past, thinking about what you didn't do, what you couldn't do, what you don't have? Go out and do something positive for yourself. Go out and do something positive for somebody else. And in those moments, you won't have time to be in your head ruminating on the past. You'll instead you'll be thinking about doing what you're doing in the moment, and that's what we're looking for: being content in the present. Are you presently in the present? Are you getting lost in your head thinking about the the past? All right, maybe you're getting lost in your head with your daydreams, or on your phone distracting yourself. Where are you when you get the most distracted? When you're in your head on the daydreams and the phone, getting lost in your head, gym, park, home with others. Hell, maybe it's someplace beautiful, someplace ugly, someplace that you deem boring. Because beautiful, ugly, and boring are all perspectives. What's one person's beautiful might be somebody else's ugly. What somebody's boring might be somebody else's exciting. So you're choosing to feel a moment has beautiful, ugly, or boring. Because what you think of it is not the concrete way other people are seeing it. Are you content in the present? Because when you're thinking about the past and you're ruminating and you're getting all nostalgic and stuff, it's going to bring out those negative emotions. It's going to bring out the undesirable feelings. I like to think about the past too, but I like to do it in a way where I, I take the lesson from the moment and I leave the negative undesirable emotions back there in the past with the event where they belong. Learn what I can from it and move forward with that knowledge. 
Oftentimes, not being in the present will show itself at uh, yearning for things we don't have. But do you realize that you have so much of what you already want? Look around. Ask yourself, how much of what you see right now in front of you would you want back if it were to disappear? These are the great things to be grateful and thankful for in your life. And it doesn't mean to not be desiring more for yourself, and that's where I want you to be ambitiously discontent about your future. Fear and anxiety are future-based. We fear what might happen. We have anxiety over what might happen because we can't control things in the future. We can only control things in the present happening to us now. So when you find yourself full of anxiety and fear, ask yourself, what can I do right now? What's one thing I can do to move the needle forward on what it is that I'm currently spinning and spiraling around? Take control of that moment by doing something right then and there, right now, this second, to move yourself in the perceived right direction. And that's the key word there, perceived right direction. Because you don't even know if it's the right direction until you start moving into a direction. It's like the other day I'm driving through Madison and there's like seven red lights in front of me and I'm just like, oh my God, I'm stuck in this traffic. It's like, why is there even traffic? I'm so confused. It's Madison. It's a tiny little town. Seven red lights in front of me. I'm like, fuck, screw it. I'll just, you know what? I'll just deal with this later. I'll just go back the way I came, go back to the house. I don't need to deal with this. I had the Google Maps on. I saw that it wanted me to go up ahead another mile. I'm like, all these damn red lights. Well, I was looking miles in front of me at all these red lights, not realizing that my next turn was like only two lights up. Thankfully, I kept going forward and then realized I was actually turning off this road to a road with no traffic. No traffic at all. I was just moving in the perceived right direction and then the turnoff showed itself. But if I'd have sat there and not moved, all I would have kept seeing was the lights turning and me not going anywhere. Or if I'd have turned around, I never would have realized that my turn was literally just two up. Not everything we've done, not everything we've accomplished, not everything we have in our lives is, is bad because it was procured during our addiction. This resiliency I have around these moments that trigger me, the, the things that I have in my life that I've learned, my college degree, the friends, the, the bank account, these things that I procured when I was an addict, they're not bad because they were, they were achieved during addiction. In some cases, I, I look at them as blessings that I was able, even able to do that. That was my ambitiously discontent version of me showing itself back then. Saying, like, look, I get you spinning out of control, Jess, and you're pretty much blacked out, hungover, wasted all the time. But I'm going to make sure that when you decide to come to, you have a college degree. That you have skills that can be useful to society. You have these two. We have learned masterful ways of navigating through our lives in a very, very consistent manner. How we've got these pretty consistent variations and states of intoxication riddled throughout our past, and yet we somehow managed to navigate all that and get here in relatively one piece. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Okay, that's neglectful. That's a, that's a neglectful approach to assessing our past self and coming to terms with what that version of us did to us then and how we got to where we are today. When you go back and think about who you were, you can be not thrilled with what you did. But beating the shit out of yourself about it now is not going to do you any good. Be informed by your past. Be content in the present and be ambitiously discontent in your future. We picked up amazing ways to live our lives. Very resourceful even. How to stretch our money. How to maximize our work time to expand our wasted time. How to influence situations in the directions we wanted them to go in. Right? Manipulation is to deceive and to advance only your position. That's what addicts do. Right? But when you influence, it, it's persuasion. To persuade is to advance the positions of all involved to everyone's betterment. Coming home and, and, and kissing your partner and telling you that you love them. Right? If you're manipulating them because you, you, you know, slept with their best friend or you just ran into the back end of their car, that's bad because it's only advancing your position to not get caught for your wrongdoing. 
But if you come home and you say that you love them and you, and you embrace them and you look them in the eye and you thank them for being there with you for all of the thick and thin and that things are getting better and it's an amazing to experience sobriety and recovery with them, and and you're doing that so that they feel loved and they feel a part of your journey, so they feel that they're with you on this. That's influencing them. That's persuasion. That's for the betterment of all involved. I, I so wanted to go back in time and take that red pill, plug into the matrix and not choose to be a drunken mess. It would have been great to have lived some humdrum life, be normal, quote unquote, but what is normal? Would I have had a midlife crisis instead because fuck it, I went all normal at 24 and now I'm unhappy with the life I've created it at 45? So let's get the fast car, the fast women, the fast drugs. Living in the fast life because my experiences in this normal life seemed, slow, seemed so slow when I remembered them. We keep thinking that if we could go back in time, we would, ch- we would do things differently. But we can't do that. I see young kids at the gym and I'm like, man, I wouldn't want to be 16 or 22 again. Unless I could go back with this brain. But we wouldn't get to. We would go back and just be the age we were. But the brain we have then. One, time machines don't exist. And two, even if they did, it wouldn't be like we could go back there and somehow snatch our younger selves, you know, shake the shit out of them and say, this is what's going to happen. We'd probably been like, all right, dude, I mean, that's what you say. But now that you've told me, I'll make better decisions. And they may probably go off and make the same damn decisions. You are who you are and you're at where you're at. Be informed by the past, be content in the present, and be ambitiously discontent about the future. Everything you desire in life is on the other side of risking your comfort zone. It's on the other side of risking what you believe is a normal, normal life. We took the blue pill. We're out of the matrix. You don't get to go back to the matrix. It's okay. It will be okay. The first 30, 60, 90 days can feel very discombobulating. You can feel like you're not even standing on solid ground. I I understand that. I get it. I remember that very vividly. And I talk to so many people so often at different stages that I realize it's not just the first 30, 60, 90. That this happens at 120 and 365 and 842 and 1117 and 2412. And it it happens at year three and six and nine and 12. And it it just happens because we go through these different cycles. We go through these different stages of life. And when we do, we're going to find ourselves circling back through a lot of the stuff that we thought we had already overcome. And we did at that level. But now we're at a different level. And so now we're just experiencing it differently, but it's still similar. It'd be like if you were going up a spiral staircase and there was multiple zones that were cutting it into it vertically, right? So you would, as you're going up this spiral staircase, you're going through like zone one and you're at you know the, the lower level and then you move into the zone and then you move into like a different section and you go through these four sections and then you, the spiral staircase circles you back around and there you are back at section one, right? Maybe it's raining in section one and maybe it's cold in section two. Maybe it's humid in section three. Maybe it's sunny in section four and you're walking up and then it's rainy and it's cold and it's humid and it's sunny. Then it's rainy and it's cold and it's humid and it's sunny. But each time you go around, you're higher and you're higher and higher. So you've already experienced rainy, cold, humid, sunny at level one, but now you're at level 10 and you're like, why am I still experiencing rainy, cold, humid, and sunny? Because the sections are still there. You're just moving up to different levels of the whole life. Do you get the metaphor? It's just part of the loop. Even when we think, well, Jesse, I broke out of the matrix. There is no more loop. There's just things that we're always going to come upon in life. We're going to have emotional discombobulation. We're going to feel physically fatigued or tired or less than. Our mental acuity isn't going to be sparking the way that it did. And this is age. This is age as we cycle up this spiral staircase, right? 
we were feeling the the rain, the cold, the sunny, the humid and the sunny at, at age 10. And now we're circling back and here we are at age 11 and age 12 and then age 37 and age 42 and all these ages. But we're going through rainy, cold, humid, sunny, rainy, cold, humid, sunny. It's just the seasons of life. Now you've learned each time you go through one of these seasons. And when you circle back upon it, you have more resources. You have more knowledge. You've, you've moved through it once. It's existence proof. We know it exists. We know other people have achieved it. We talk to other people who have achieved it. Hell, we can look in our own lives and know we've achieved it. Stop shining the light on the things that you perceive as negative about yourself and open up the doorway to all that is positive that you've achieved. Because it's in those positive achievements. Hell, it's in the negative ones too. That we realize that our fortitude, our strength, our determination, it's in us. Life wants to live. Life wants to live. From a one-celled organism to us. Life wants to live. And it wants to do it at a homeostasis, at this contentment where we feel safe, we feel secure. We have this certainty and this variety and this contribution and this love and we have personal growth and we, ha- we have these things around us because we're working on them. Part of your sobriety recovery journey is realizing that this is all normal to be feeling this way. But you took the blue pill. You don't get to plug back into the matrix and you're blessed for that because now you know that whatever you're feeling now can be grown and journeyed through and on the other side of it is the best day of your life because you woke up sober. As always, if you want to be more in touch with this material, hit me up, DM me, email me. You know how to do it. It's in the show notes. It's on Instagram. Seriously, I'm not hard to find if you want to find me. Um, If it's not me replying, it's my assistant. Don't worry. Um, We're here for you. Stand up, raise your hand. It's your turn. I will call on you. Inclusivity over exclusivity. The power of positive energy. Release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. My housemates are asleep now, so I didn't want to sing that too loud. Shout out to sunshine. Love you, Ron Rico Davis. Glow on. Glow on, my friends. That's it. Episode 150. Bless you for being here. Here's to 200, 250, 300, 1,000. I'm going to bust this out like the state of trance. One day we're going to have huge conferences. And it's going to be awesome to have all of you in one room. And we'll chant out my mantras. (laughs) Glow on, everybody. See you next week. Bye-bye.